Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Cut for Time. This is Pastor Joey. I did not preach this last week. Uh, but I'm sitting down with Pastor Nathan, who did preach and finished up our study through um, Jesus's temptations. It was three temptations, three sermons. And uh, Nathan, you took the last one. So why don't you start by giving us a summary of the, the story, the sermon, the application, you know, wherever you want to go with it. Yeah, thanks for sitting down to interview me. I know uh, didn't seem very realistic that a lot of people would want to hear a conversation of just Claire and I talking about it. So we get to talk all the time. So here we are. Yeah, for those who don't know, our youth pastor is married to our communications director. And so they, they can critique his sermon at home on their own. Hey, nice job thinking about the context. Yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I got to preach through the third temptation of Jesus, which we've also talked about as the third test, uh, where maybe... He's going through these tests, but the devil is trying to turn them into temptations to um, get him to stumble. So, yeah, we got to look at um, how Satan, his adversary, brings him to a high mountain, tells him to bow down and worship him, and Satan will fulfill his promise to give him everything. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot going on here beneath the surface. I think it's interesting that Satan is making Jesus an offer to something that he doesn't actually own. He doesn't own the authority to all the kingdoms of the world, and thus he didn't actually have the ability to give give that to Jesus. But more than anything else, um, I, I see it in just reading and studying that this is G- or Satan tempting Jesus to avoid suffering. That ultimately he's trying to take give Jesus a, an out to go any other direction other than the cross. Uh, he wants to um, not make him fulfill the Father's plan. Uh, and instead, hey, you want this authority, you want this power, I can give it to you, and you don't have to go through suffering. And obviously, Jesus knows that to do that would be sinning and would be going against the Father's plan. So he doesn't follow through with it and then tells him to be gone, and he leaves. So it's a great summary. Um, when you preached Matthew 4, you connected it back with Matthew 3. Obviously, um, when you look at the book of Matthew, the first four chapters are the big introduction to Jesus and his qualifications. Um, Before Matthew 5, 6, 7, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' basic vision of what kingdom living looks like. So uh, you took Matthew 4, you connected it back to the baptism in chapter 3. Um, Why was that significant for developing or for seeing below the surface on this temptation like because i think i read it and i was like okay um jesus was like hey why don't you worship me as well mm-hmm. or it's, satan was saying why don't you to jesus why don't you worship me as well but you were saying no there's more underneath the surface than just that yeah i think anytime you read um a narrative especially in the gospels um sometimes we see those connecting words like then or therefore or if you're in um if you're in mark it's the word immediately mm-hmm. um and sometimes we just see those as transitions but i think it's also very important to, to see those as connecting and so at the beginning of chapter four when it says then jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness it, it matthew was drawing this connection between his baptism and the temptation and, and so yeah if you look at what happens in jesus baptism there is that element of uh, he, through the voice, 
from heaven, you know, when the spirit descended like a dove and the voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I am well pleased, he is being identified as both Israel's promised Messiah and king, but also that suffering servant. And so there's these two identities in one or roles in one that Jesus is kind of publicly taking on himself. He was already Israel's promised king and the suffering servant before, but this was kind of him taking those roles and identifying as those roles. And Satan then, as part of this third temptation, is trying to get him to take one without the other. Take the kingship, take the messiahship, take the authority. Hey, but you don't need to suffer. And obviously, like, Jesus isn't going to do that. But that's where the connection to his baptism uh, is so important. And if you're not reading Matthew 4, after you read Matthew 3, you're not really thinking about what just happened yeah. right before Jesus, or what, right before Jesus was tempted. Yeah. So is it fair to say the temptation was to be the servant without suffering? Yeah, to be the servant without suffering or just to be the Messiah without being the servant. Got it. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, so Nathan, you don't get to get up all that often. I mean, we try to get you up there four times a year, and you say yes once a year because, you know, you have another job. So yeah. uh, um, tell us about your process. When you sit down to do a sermon and you're also teaching and you're also doing staff meetings and you're doing all this other stuff, like, what does studying for this look like? Yeah, it's interesting. I think um, I tried always uh, begin the process the week before, um, doing some preliminary reading, uh, meditating on the passage. Uh, maybe I, I make it a more intentional time of my time in the Word in the mornings where I'm reading through it multiple times. And then usually the week of, uh, start digging into some commentaries, other sources, looking at cross-references. If there's a major theme, uh, like for this one, temptation, suffering, uh, then maybe I start reading some other parts of Scripture that, that talk about that as well. But unfortunately, I usually, because of everything else going on and, and stuff on Wednesdays, I usually don't get to sit down and actually start writing anything, putting any paper or pen to paper until Thursday. Um, but I, I, I told my wife Claire uh, this week when I had kind of finished for the most part, uh, I still had to do a little bit of editing, but when I'd finished by Saturday afternoon, I'm like, I think this is the earliest I've finished a sermon since I've been here at Faith Church, because normally it's like a Saturday night at 10 p.m. thing. I'm putting the finishing touches on and waking up early Sunday morning to edit some things down. And obviously, I still did a little bit of that Sunday morning, just making sure it all flowed together better. But yeah, and then I usually try to run through it once or twice just to make sure I'm familiar enough with it that I don't have to just read my notes word for word and... Um, and I also just don't have to uh, be so tied to my notes. And anyway, so it is interesting, though. I, I think a lot of pastors who preach either use an outline or use a manuscript. And I kind of like hybrid the two of it just from my own experience where it's kind of an outline form, but it's also written in full sentences where I'm going from one to the next. So I think anyone else could take my notes and preach a sermon, but I'm not I'm not sure about that. I did wonder about that this last week because I had seen your notes ahead of time and I, I thought, hmm, if Nathan is sick tomorrow morning, could I preach what he'd written? Probably um, not. And, and started <laughs> out with, I'd been here about a year before I was annoyed with Pastor Joey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. thanks for that. Um, and I do think, just, you know, for context, I think sometimes we, we, mention, we mention people or we mention our, our wives or family members or another pastor in an illustration and it's like, oh, do they know that they were going to say that? Like, yeah, yes. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that about you without right. giving you a heads up. So yeah, 
and I uh, reserve the right to edit whatever goes on the podcast. That's true. Yeah. Too. Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Um, well, you're you're starting to live out the old preachers of Dodge that sermons are never done, just delivered. They're never done. Yeah, exactly. You could, I could have put another 30 hours in and still fine-tuned it more and more. But mm-hmm. there comes a time, day of reckoning or hour or two of reckoning, where mm-hmm. you just have to get up there and... And get her done. Get her done. So was there any big stuff you, like whole chunks of things you wanted to cover but you didn't have time for? Yeah, I think um, there were... I, I wished I would have come up with more illustrations or an analogy for maybe some application, but I just didn't come up with any, so I didn't... They weren't in the sermon, but it's not because I cut them. They just didn't exist, or I didn't have time to think about them. I have one I thought of for you this morning. Okay, well, that's helpful. While we were rebuilding your shed this morning, that that got knocked down by the tree that fell in the, like, two big thunderstorms back, or windstorms ago. In December. Yeah. I was like, well, see, look, uh, the tree falls, it destroys your shed, but you you force it to turn it into something even better. You went from a six by seven foot shed to an eight by ten. Oh yeah. Thanks to insurance. Yeah. <laughs> yep. There you go. I did actually have similar thoughts about I, the shed as well. Like, man, what I would give to just snap my fingers and have this and shed put together versus without the any eight of the work. hours that it took to with an other help yep. to, to get it there and the blisters on my hands to get there. So what we're learning is that this illustration needed more massaging. Yeah. Before something it was like ready that. for uh, yes. for prime time. Yes. Uh, no, but I think the, the main thing that I really wanted to include, but it wasn't exactly the, the immediate context of the temptation, but I did mention it very briefly in the sermon, was um, Matthew 16, when Jesus confesses Peter as the... the turn other it way around. around. Turn yep, it around. Other way yep. around. Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ, uh, and then um, Jesus, you know, blesses him, blessed are you. Uh, and then he says that, you know, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father is in heaven. And, uh, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to not tell, to tell no one that he was the Christ. So there's like this great moment with Peter. And I, once again, I, I mentioned it briefly, but it would have just been, it's just such this dichotomy between what Peter was in one moment and then it says from that time Jesus began his, to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised and that's when Peter took him aside and rebukes him uh, so yeah I think you know the connection to the temptation is very clear because it is that same exact temptation that Satan tried to get Jesus to stumble with back in the wilderness at the mountaintop Uh, but now he has either somehow caused Peter to even just give Jesus the same temptation or maybe it's just like Peter didn't understand he just didn't understand what Jesus was saying Uh, maybe it was an ignorant you know way of tempting Jesus but in the same way Jesus sees the source behind the temptation tells Peter get behind me Uh, get behind me Satan so I can't imagine how it'd be to feel like Peter in that moment where, yeah. you know, at one moment you're like, wow, in front of all the disciples, Jesus just told me that I'm amazing and like I, he's going to build his church on me and, and this is awesome. And then, you know, the next moment he says, hey, um, in case you think you're perfect and amazing, uh, get behind me, Satan. So anyway, there's, there's a lot in there. And then obviously mm-hmm. that is then followed up with the... Um, the, the place in Matthew 16 where Jesus tells them to, if anyone would come after me, deny himself, let him deny himself and take up his cross 
and follow me for whoever would lose whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it so i think there's just a lot of rich mm-hmm. truth and application in that that i think if i would have had time um i i, I would have liked to maybe spend a little bit more time there yeah. but we were in matthew 4 not matthew 16 so ultimately didn't have to really mm-hmm. get into that as much i had i don't think i've really made those connections before that in matthew 4 jesus knows he is the suffering servant the messiah you know the anointed one the christ um but he knows that messiahship that anointing brings with it suffering and it's not till matthew 16 once the disciples recognize hey you're the anointed one that he then says yes yeah. I'm, but it's not just the servant, it's the suffering servant. Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 servants don't suffer. Yeah. The servant doesn't suffer yeah. like this. Yeah. And I think the, the whole idea of um, Jesus being both the king, Messiah, and the suffering servant as one, even though it was kind of made public as baptism, I don't think it was something that everyone fully understood yeah. or even accepted not just like the devil, but even just his disciples. I don't think they fully understood that. Um, you know, even when you know this coming week is going to be Palm Sunday. Even as we right. think about how Jesus entered Jerusalem, like they're, Hosanna they're in the highest, yeah, yeah, Hosanna in the highest. They're expecting a conquering king. They're not mm-hmm. expecting you know a you know a teacher on a donkey. You know, yeah. and so um, I think part of that is just some some level of confusion of like, wait, no, you're you. We just said you're the Messiah. We just said you're the king. Like kings don't suffer. Like you're that's not you. That's someone else. Like the suffering servant from Isaiah, like that's not yeah, you. Yeah, that's that's us. That's Israel. We've yeah. we paid the sufferings and right. now we need to be set free or right. whatever. Yeah. yeah. So I think even they just had a difficult time reconciling, wait, how can these two things mm-hmm. function together? Mm-hmm. And and for us, I mean we've always seen Jesus as the suffering servant. We we can look backwards. Right. Yeah, the crucifixion <laughs> and the resurrection, we can look backwards and see it all you know, all of God's plan and sovereignty working together. Um, but for them, they're in the middle of it. They're between Jesus's coming and b- before his sufferings. They haven't actually witnessed his, mm-hmm. his real suffering yet. So it, c- it makes sense why it would be a little bit confusing for them. Mm-hmm. So you tied Jesus's suffering in the wilderness or him as the suffering servant to our, to our own suffering, which interestingly, what you just read in Matthew 16 also does. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the Messiah, therefore I'm the suffering servant. You are my disciples, therefore you also will suffer. Take up your cross like me and follow after me. Uh, whoever loses his life for my sake, or I think mm-hmm. Luke says for my sake or for the gospel's sake. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how did you tie, or, or let me ask the question a little bit differently. What is Jesus as the suffering servant and him choosing the way of suffering in Matthew 4? Like, How does that bring hope to us, or how does that impact our following of Jesus as we follow him following suffering yeah that's a really great question i think when you figure that out um <laughs> let me know but uh <laughs> you can turn the tables now. <laughs> turn the tables no um yeah so so you're asking like how does jesus wi- willingly saying no to the temptation and saying no i'm willing to suffer whenever that comes mm-hmm. how does that connect to us in in our lives mm-hmm. is basically yes. what you're asking okay so yeah i think I mean, it, it gives us comfort knowing that Jesus was willing, uh, as Philippians says, to be obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, um, that his obedience is what brought us peace. His obedience is what reconciled us to God. Mm-hmm. And without his obedience, we wouldn't be sitting here. We wouldn't have the relationship with God that we do. We'd be doomed to what we've chosen, which is sin and separation from God. 
Um, and so it's only because of Christ's obedience to the point of suffering and death that we have that. So yeah, there's great comfort in that. Uh, but I think there's also just comfort in knowing that like the suffering that we experience in our life, uh, whether that's evil and suffering based on um, our own sinfulness, uh, or maybe it's even just the broken world around us, broken world, broken creation, broken systems, and, and that kind of thing, that even in the midst of whatever we're going through, we know that because that is a part of us taking up our cross, when we kind of bear those burdens and, and not like, not that we should seek out suffering, but when we are in the midst of suffering or when in the midst of hardship, we are actually identifying with Christ and his suffering. And that there is a beauty in the fact that even the worst things that could happen to us can be turned into something good because God is using that not just to like make us more resilient people or like, hey, you suffered and now you don't know pain as much or something like that. Not like in some like depressive sense, but like in a, in a joyful, hopeful sense, like, hey, this pain I'm going through, the suffering I'm going to, yeah, it can be an encouragement to others, or yes, it can help me to develop perseverance and, and hope and all these things, but like, it is actually a way in which I am identifying myself with Christ, and there is a beauty in that that I don't think is found in just about anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you made the point, a uh, theological point, that I think you said something like the worst blow God can deliver evil or it's not just to prevent it from happening mm -hmm. but to force it to serve good to serve what our, our higher good or greater good yeah um, I was thinking about that some more and it, it uh, struck me like uh, from time to time you know you have uh, you wake up in a panic from a dream like that everything is lost right yeah. like your family yeah. is all dead or yeah. some axe murderer just came through the house <laughs> or a tornado hit your house or whatever yeah. you wake up in shock and you're like I've lost everything. Yeah. And then you realize, no, I haven't. Like, yeah. No. And you so much more appreciate yeah. for at least a few moments. Yeah. As you, start to, as you start to realize what reality is yeah. and the depth behind the reality, I'm like, oh, like, I don't need to worry about how I felt in that moment. Yeah. Because reality, not everyone is dead. <laughs> yes. In reality, they're still alive. They're sleeping soundly. They're yeah. covered in cats. Yeah. Like, it's okay. Um, it's normal. Uh, but it's almost like the normal is better because you lost it temporarily. You have an appreciation for yeah. it. Yeah. So I wonder if our, um, I don't know if this analogy works or not, that at some point, um, heaven will be like waking up from a dream of suffering mm. um, to find that reality is so much better for having lost it or for it having been broken yeah. um, in in our life. I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's another illustration that needs massaging before yeah. it's good for public consumption, I guess. <laughs> yeah, which is what this podcast That's is what for. this podcast is all yeah. about. Yeah. You're welcome, public. Consume. Yeah, yeah no, I thought, I thought Sunday was great. I, I loved being able to preach. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, I do get probably more opportunities than I say yes to to actually preach but I enjoy it it does add a little bit of extra time on my work week which means I'm with my family a little bit less and that kind of thing so I'm sometimes hesitant to say yes but yeah I enjoy it and, and I thought everything came together really well it was great to be able to celebrate communion mm -hmm. uh, in contrast to thinking about the suffering servant and the point that Jesus was willing to go to to um, bring us back to God and um yeah, I, I don't know. I, I always love, even though it makes me a little nervous at times, and it does cost more time and energy, 
I do be I do enjoy being able to take some deep dives in God's word and and preach that for mm -hmm. what God has called me to the place he's called me to here at Faith Church. So, yeah, thanks for you and thanks to you and Jeff for giving me the opportunity to do yeah, so. Heck yeah, we need to do it more often. Um, it's great to have you preach last week. So, and thanks for taking a few minutes to sit down and um, listen to me ramble on about your sermon. Yeah, so, well, it's okay. Some of the stuff it. is stuff you gave me anyway. So, so well, you know, it's a collaborative effort. We don't yeah. often uh, acknowledge how much conversation we have around the table with the pastors putting yeah. sermons together yeah. uh, and how much comes from, from others. But is there anything we want to drop in the last minute of this podcast to see if anyone listened all the way to the end? All the way through? Yeah. Ooh, like special sneak peeks in upcoming series or... Yeah, what's the next series going to be right. about? Okay. After, after Easter. Here's the thing. Here's what we're going to do, everybody. First person uh, to come up to Nathan, uh, Pastor Nathan... Or uh, Pastor Joey. No, no, don't just, just, just throw, Pastor don't Nathan. Don't just throw me under the bus. Uh, first person to come up to Pastor Nathan on Sunday and say... Um, What's your, what was your, your football team? The Bengals. The Bengals. I was like, the Browns? That's not right. No. Uh, first sports. person. Sports. Sports, eh? First person come up to Nathan and say, go Bengals. Uh, we'll get a, a free Chick-fil-A sandwich. Courtesy of Pastor Joe. On me. Yep, that's right. So, there you go. If you listened all the way to the end, there's a chance. But it has to be on Sunday. It has to be on Sunday, Paul in Sunday. person. In person. Can't yes. just text me. Can't just text. Nope. All and right. uh, we will leave right that moment to go buy the sandwich. On a Sunday. I wasn't going to make that point. I wasn't going to make that clear. I was going to let the person... No. First person to say, go Bengals, gets a free Chick-fil-A sandwich, just to find out if you listened all the way to the end. So, Until Claire cuts this part out. Yeah. Yeah. So, Claire, you can decide to leave that in or not. There we go. And we're out. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.